0: All right, good evening everyone. Thanks for coming tonight. Let's pray first and then we're going to do what we've done the other weeks. We're going to do some review. So we're going to review three weeks and then we'll, we'll dive into tonight's topic and we'll go over some of the things. As soon as I pray, I'll go over some other news I have for you. Okay, so let's pray first. All right, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, you've granted us another day of life. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, your goodness. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you, would, that you would open our eyes to see great things in your word. I pray that you help us in our, in our discussion times, Lord, to, to truly understand what you have revealed in your word and what we have seen to be true, not just in your word, but as we live our lives and, and it holds true. And so we thank you, Lord, for, for this time. Thank you for the, the privilege to be here tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead, look at your notes. And I want you to point a couple things out to you. Tonight, session four. So we've already had three other sessions. Tonight is on free will, on the will of man, in salvation and sanctification. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. I also want to point out that we do have topics now for November 28th and for December 12th. We're going to look at God's sovereignty a lot. Remember I told you we're going to wait on God's sovereignty until later? Well, on December... Uh, Excuse me, November 28th, we're going to look at God's sovereignty and the existence of evil, okay? And on the 12th of December, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So we'll end, you know, this this, uh, string of, of teachings for the fall on the 12th with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. But let me go ahead and first review a few things. And so this will be repetition for those of you that have been here, and it's good to repeat things. Uh, If you haven't been here any other weeks, then you'll be able to to catch where we've been. And we have more handouts getting passed out. And then we've also got these little gifts for you, these Grace Bible Institute little notebook things. The handy-dandy little holder for your pens, even. Okay, so we, we first started with the authority of Scripture. We looked at inerrancy, inspiration, infallibility, sufficiency, clarity, or also known as perspicuity, and the idea of God's word being overall We have to start there, right? We've got to start there and get that settled in our minds. And I know that in my life, before I was a believer, there was a time when I did not have any confidence in the word of God because I didn't believe it. I kind of knew it was a book I should respect, but I didn't have a respect for it in the way that God would want me to have. Even after coming to faith in Christ, I was really, like, voracious about reading the Word of God, but I think, I think it was not until I got a couple years into knowing Christ and really had read the Bible probably through maybe for the first time that I really started grasping how important it was. And I remember as a newer believer sitting at Long Beach State in a class, and my Bible, and at the time I was using a New American Standard hardcover Bible that were given out to Biola students, and one of my friends Gave it to me, and I had it. I was at Long Beach State, sitting in this class, and I had my Bible, big fat, you know, Bible under my desk on this like, you know, little shelf or whatever under the desk. And I remember thinking to myself as this professor is talking about something probably pretty ridiculous. I heard a lot of ridiculous stuff while I was there, uh, in 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 classes that weren't teaching you know Bible stuff, but I just heard a lot of ridiculous stuff. Um, And I remember thinking to myself, everything in my life from here on out is wrapped up in the book that's below my seat. It just dawned on me. It was like my whole life is set, literally. Like everything, everything I need to know is in the word. This, this, my life, this, my life is wrapped up in this book, I think is the, is the thing that I, the the sentence I thought. So the authority of scripture is huge. You've got to grasp it. And, and I, I would just say this, if you, if you don't have a love for the Word, and it's probably really rare for someone that's maybe in the, coming into this room on a Wednesday night in October to come here about the free will of man, uh, it's probably kind of rare that you wouldn't have a love for the Word of God, okay? We all, we all know we probably should be reading and studying it more and that we should love it more, but most likely you already love the Word of God. But I would just say this. We should always be asking God to give us a deeper love for the Word. And, and, and you know, Psalm 19 and uh, how what the Word does. Read, read what the Word does in Psalm 19. It's, it's amazing uh, how it converts your soul and makes wise the simple and uh, restores you and enlightens you and just on and on and on. And the Word never will never fail. And the Word stands forever. So that's got to be our starting point. That's got to be our anchor for everything. Now, then, the second week, we looked at God's providence. God's providence. And, and I, what I said was we're going to address sovereignty later. So We're going to address it two times in two different ways on our last two weeks. The idea of providence, of God holding everything together and governing and sustaining and orchestrating all things for his glory. And the fact that he is in control of all things and that he is sovereign, and that he is independent of everything. And God is is doing holy things because he's holy. He's doing wise things because he's wise. He's doing powerful things because he's powerful. And so he's always involved in, in in the things he has created by sustaining what he has created, keeps us existing. I love how the Bible says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. He holds all things together by the word of his power, and he is holding everything together. And so God is continuing in providence to exercise his, his energy, his power, and he is preserving us. And you wonder why you're here tonight. Well, you chose to be here tonight. How many of you chose to be here tonight? Okay. How many of you, someone said, you're going to be here tonight? All right, there's a couple people in the room, okay? Just going to say, you get a notebook too. Give them an extra cookie, okay? All right, well, let's review a little bit on, on session three, okay? You chose to be here tonight, but, but God is preserving you. And the only reason you're able to be here tonight is because God gave you breath to breathe and, and kept keeping your heart beating and uh, is letting you be here tonight, right? Okay, election and reprobation, we looked at last time, including predestination and foreknowledge. We looked at all of those. So in the review, I literally gave you what is the doctrine on foreknowledge, predestination, election, reprobation. And let me just point out reprobation. That's the one that's the least favorite. That's the one that's the least popular because it has to do with things that we don't like to think about. But it's the eternal decree of God whereby he has determined to pass some men by with the operations of his special grace and to punish them for their sins to the manifestation of his justice and it's hard for us to understand that it's hard for us to understand but if we believe in election and predestination and foreknowledge as the bible teaches it we've also got to believe in reprobation but i know i mentioned this the last time in in romans 9 22 and 23 that where it talked about god Electing it mean by electing grace, it was in the active, and when He passes over them, it's in the passive. Okay, He's letting them go the way that they want to go. All right, so apart from and until God regenerates the heart, we will never want Christ. And so, if it doesn't happen in someone's life, if it doesn't happen in someone's heart, they're going to keep on going the way they want to go—the Romans one way they want to go, okay—and the Romans three way they want to go, which is. Uh, not seeking God, okay, either running from Him or fighting against Him. Okay, you might even be able to say that about yourself. Like before you knew Christ, were you more running away from God or fighting against God? Okay, maybe both. Right? Okay. With all that, I want to say one more thing, and then we'll dive into session four. Well, I want to say this. Doctrines essential for salvation. What is essential for salvation? You hear me uh, share the gospel every week when I'm preaching. I, I, I will not preach a sermon without giving the gospel in the sermon, okay? Uh, you might die after the sermon, and if you're not a believer, I don't want you to not have heard the gospel and had a chance to come to faith in Christ. What's a doc- what are the doctrines essential for salvation? It's very, very simple. What do you need to believe to be saved? It's very, very simple, okay? And I guess what I want to say is what do you, there's certain doctrines that you don't need to believe to be saved, okay? Now, some of you might make, beg to differ with me on this, but I want to say this. The whole idea of foreknowledge and predestination and all that, you could sit here tonight and say, I don't believe that the way you've described Even biblically described, even though you've laid out a good case. If you were there Sunday, you heard me preach it on foreknowledge and predestination. Or you heard me two weeks ago, and you you heard me speaking of those four topics, uh, biblical topics, and you said, I don't believe how you presented it, even though you made a plausible biblical argument. And you walk out the door and you say, but I'm a believer. I, I love the Lord Jesus. All I can tell you is that God knows those who are saved. And if you say, well, I don't believe any of that, you saying that doesn't make it untrue. All right? Just like you saying you're a believer doesn't make it true. Now, look, uh, you could believe everything I'm teaching here and not be saved. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You, can believe, you, can, you can believe everything I'm teaching here and still not be saved. But Satan believes, the devil believes, and shudders, right? Mm-hmm. So, it isn't just that we, and this goes into our topic for tonight, it isn't just that we say something, we make a declaration, okay? It matters that God makes declarations. So I want you to get those things separated out. We are people. No one in here is God. Well, no, wait, hold on a minute. Let's be theologically correct. God is here. God is present. But none of you, beautiful people that I know and love, are God, Okay? You're humans, okay? You're male and female, okay? So, session four, the fr- free will, the will of man, and I love this, in salvation or justification, However you, we you, you should probably like slice and dice it a little bit, and sanctification, okay? Sanctification. So I want to repeat something I said on Sunday. There's nothing said in Romans 8, 28 to 30 about our will. Nothing at all. It's all about the will of God. If our will was involved, it would be about our sin, okay? It wouldn't have been about us pushing ourselves to heaven or deciding something that made that little bit of difference where God said, yes, I will let you into heaven because you made a great decision, okay? And it's not that your will doesn't exist. It is that it does not ultimately determine your destiny. And I made a statement on Sunday that pastors and, and teachers and, and, and just people who believe have said over the years, Things like this, God foresees, he looks down the corridor of time and he sees that you will believe, therefore he chooses you based on what he sees you doing. And all I can tell you is that's a man-centered view. That's, and I guess, I guess what, what, what I would say is, why would we want to describe God's sovereign acts in ways that lessen those sovereign acts, that, that kind of put them on a lower level. Why would we want to attribute to God less than he has said he has done? Because he clearly says he chooses us. He clearly says this, he is God. When you, Your mind's gonna get blown when we get into Romans chapter nine on Sunday mornings. Your mind's gonna get blown because God's gonna say to us, straight from his word who are we to answer back to him and call him into question and and just I just want to appeal to you again if your if your heart is playing a tug of war if your will by the way your will we're talking about that tonight if your will is fighting against what the bible teaches it's very simple trust jesus and and yield your will to him, Just surrender. God, I don't understand it all. I, I don't understand it all. It's mysterious to me. It's confusing to me. It's unsettling to me. And, and just admit it to God and let him deal with that. Okay? Don't let me force you to think something. Don't let your friends or your family uh, push you into a point of view so that they would think that they've, you know, got you set aright, just believe the word of God and don't explain it away, okay? If you're explaining it away, if you're tempted to explain it away, just remember you're not God. God's God. He's got his word. He has, um, think about what his word's been through (laughs) over the years, okay? He can, it can handle you, (laughs) all right? Okay, so let's talk about the will a little bit more. And this is all introduction, okay, we're not into your notes yet. You do what you want to do at any given moment, okay? You go get a cookie if you want. No one's, you know, you're not a drone, okay? Uh, You're not a remote control where someone at home is going, okay, Chris Clark is going to get up right now, three, two, one, and go get a chocolate chip cookie. It's not happening, okay? You want to go get it? Go get it, all right? Uh, if you want to be saved by Christ you will be saved by Christ now if you want to mess around and trick thinking you can trick God in any way you will not succeed he knows everything Okay, he knows your heart you can't get away you can't get around it right but you would never want Christ unless God changes your heart to want him rather than hate him and I gave this out last time the ordo salutis did anyone not get one? I've got one left the only one left in the rest, in the whole world. I lost mine. You know what? I'm, I'm, I, I saw that hand back here first. We'll get you one, Sam, but this one's going to Jim. Yeah. Serve that up. to you there? All right? But you can have a cookie. <laughs> um, if I choose to. <laughs> if you
1: choose to.
0: No, you will eat it. Um, God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life into you a dead sinner, and you believe, it can happen instantaneously, but for sure, regeneration happens before you believe. You go, wait, 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 how can it happen instantaneously? God has the math all figured out. Okay, there might be a split moment, split second, whatever it is, but if you come to faith in Christ, it's because God has regenerated you. There's a, a long-standing evangelical teaching that goes like this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and get born again. It's not biblically accurate. Jesus said, go through John 3 and just trace it down through there. You must be born again. And it says you must be born of the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit is being born again. You don't set the ball in motion. You don't determine that destiny. First uh, Peter 1.3, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. Who caused us to be born again? God. God caused us to be born again. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait, no, it's because I was at the Billy Graham crusade in 1985, and I accepted Christ, and that's how God caused me to be born again. You can't find that in the Bible. But some well-meaning people teach it. Some loving, well-meaning, godly people teach it because they were taught it or because that was the best way they could figure it out. So I just wanted to say I'm not going to put it down anybody who's had those kind of thoughts or holds those kind of thoughts, I would just say trace it in the Bible and make sure that the comments you're making, the statements you're making, fit with the Bible. Okay, And don't assume what the Bible says because you go, oh, I saw it a long time ago. Go back, just go back and just look at it. Just trust me in this. okay? And, and here's the other thing I'm going to say, and I, and I mean this in a, in a kind and loving way. I think that everything I've said in the re- weeks previous and everything I'm, I'm planning to say tonight unless i make some huge mistake what is in my notes is biblically accurate I, i'm not saying that in i'm saying that in a humble way like um, by, by the way the things i'm presenting not the first time they've been spoken um, i am I'm, I'm i'm quoting old dead guys and and, uh, and other people and the and the histor the, the christian church has believed these things all the way down the ages okay so so let's just realize that what i'm putting out tonight i might say certain things in different ways um, but I'm mostly standing on the shoulders of people that have gone before me that have a, uh, had a, a solid grasp of what the Bible teaches, okay? So, you got to talk about free will, the freedom to do as we please. But remember this, the will is not fully free. Okay? I said this on Sunday, the will is not fully free. The, to say the will is free is not fully accurate, and it isn't even intellectually honest at, at, the, at the bottom base level until and unless God regenerates your soul, you'll never want Christ. So regeneration, being born again by the Spirit, precedes the exercise of faith. Okay, talk about free will. The freedom to do as you please. And I'm going to just say, I bet you all did what you really wanted today. Now you didn't go to Italy and you always wanted to go to Italy. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you just did what you wanted. Well, you didn't want to go to work? Oh, no, you did because you went. You just did. Your will to go to work overrode your will to stay home. All right, this morning I woke up and I'm like, I really don't want to go to my men's group at 7 a.m. It's going to be a long day today. I just kind of want to say I don't feel that good. Just because I'm kind of tired. And I thought about my buddies that would be there. And I'm like, no, I'm going. And I pushed, got myself up and got myself over there. I was the first one in the booth. Seriously, I didn't like want to go. But my, want, my will to, to go overrode my will not to go. I did what I wanted. Even though I didn't want, you know what I'm saying? Do you really want, th- I, I go, I, I, on my front porch, um, there was something rotten. Like a rotten piece of fruit on my front porch. It sat there too long. A rotten vegetable, it was a vegetable, I think. And it was moldy. I did not want to pick it up. But my will to pick it up and get it off the porch and into the trash overrode my, my not wanting to pick it up. Okay? So, Many people get confused by free will. Can I ask you a question? Yes. So, is
2: desire
0: and will different? Let's wait on that one. Hold that thought because hold that. No, just hold on to that for a moment because I, I hope that what I say will explain that a bit, okay? But I don't want to answer right now. Huh? Partly because it's a hard question. No, <laughs> no um, seriously, just wait just for a little while. We'll get, we will get there. I, I tr- Trust me. Uh, many people are confused by free will. Understandable. Uh, many people see it differently, understandable. How does God see it? That's what we have to be focused on. So we're gonna, I'm gonna make some introductory comments, which I've been doing. Then we'll look at a bunch of Bible verses, and then we're gonna look at a bunch of quotes. Not all of them that I get in your notes. So you can do that reading on your own, okay? But I'll highlight a few. And then we're gonna look at applying this doctrine, okay? Applying the idea of free will, and and especially in sanctification. We'll get to that, okay? All right. Every choice you make, you make for a reason. You always choose according to your strongest desires at the moment of your choice. Again, my desire to get the moldy vegetable off the front porch overrode the desire to not do that. The will is your choosing faculty. Okay, is that helping? The will is the choosing faculty. Fallen humans have free will but lack liberty. We'll get into this more. We have natural freedom. Sit on a chair, eat a piece of pizza, go get a cookie, drink a cup of coffee, but we do not have a moral freedom. Okay? Not outside of Christ. Freedom is self-determination. The the freedom to, to determine things for yourself. Okay, we don't have that moral freedom. In regeneration, God changes your heart. And plants a desire for him in you. Okay? So I'm gonna quote Augustine. Okay? Uh, He wrote a treatise on grace and free will. His name was Aurelius Augustine, he's Bishop of Hippo. And here's what he said With reference to those persons who so preach and defend man's free will as to boldly deny. And endeavor to do away with the grace of God which calls us to Him and which delivers us from our evil deserts, and by which we obtain the good deserts which lead to everlasting life. We have already said a good deal in discussion and committed it to writing, so far as the Lord has granted to, to enable us. But since there are some persons who so defend God's grace as to deny man's free will, or who suppose that free will is denied when grace is defended. I have determined to write somewhat on this point, and he's writing to a friend, to to your love, my brother Valentinus, and to the rest of you who are serving God together under the impulse of a mutual love. For it has been told me concerning you, brethren, by some members of your brotherhood who have visited us and are the bearers of this communication of ours to you that there are dissensions among you on this subject. I just want to start out by by giving you that because... um, you know, we're, we're not the first generation to struggle or have, you know, differences of opinion when it comes to free will. So, okay, so tonight I'm going to work backwards from the bottom line summary on top to the biblical teaching to the baseline, to quotes and then a baseline application, okay? So some summary statements regarding the human will. So you can look at your notes there. And I went ahead and made up my own two uh, descriptions, okay? In salvation, in sanctification, okay? So you have to test this. In salvation, specifically in regeneration and justification, the will of man is inoperative. It's not a part of the picture. God does it all with no cooperating help from humans at all. So I hope I've closed the escape route out completely on this one, okay? There is no human will involved in regeneration and justification. There is no life until God awakens the soul. And you Think about he, um, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made you alive together with him. God made you alive, okay? And gives new birth and regeneration. I've talked about 1 Peter 1:3. He causes us to be born again. So that's our baseline understanding of in salvation, the human will is inoperative. It's, not, uh, it's flatlined, okay? In sanctification, a different story, but not one where God says, now you go ahead and take over, I'll see you in heaven. Okay? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And we'll get into uh, Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13 in a little while, and we'll see why it isn't that God just said, well, okay, I saved you, I justified you, regenerated you and justified you, now you go ahead and sanctify yourself, and we'll see if you can get to the to the pearly gates, you know, that's not going to happen that way. Here it is. And while God brings about progressive sanctification, the will of man must be engaged in cooperating with the Spirit of God. Now, some people now at this time take uh, issue with the, the term cooperating. And again, I'm standing with some of the early church writers on in that using that word. Okay, so I'm using that word uh, in a way that's historically been used. While God brings about progressive sanctification... You don't immediately get sanctified. It's progressive. The will of man must be engaged in cooperating with the Spirit of God. Our will is always secondary and subservient to the will of God. Our will is never ultimately deterministic. Okay? So that's where we're going tonight. That's where. That's it. That's, that's the, the, whole, the nuggets. Okay? Those two statements. Okay? Now, Augustine said this. Wherever it is said in the Bible, "Do not do this," and "Do not do that," and wherever there is any requirement in the divine admonitions for the work of the will to do anything or to refrain from doing anything, there is at once a sufficient proof of free will. No man, therefore, when he sins, can say in his heart, uh, "Can in his heart blame God for it?" But every man must impute the fault to himself. And and then we'll get into responsibility later on in December, okay? December 12th. Jonathan Edwards in The Freedom of the Will defines the will as that by which the mind chooses. So what was the question that came before about the will? What was that question? Is desire will? Okay. So the will is that by which the mind chooses. Humans make choices. Uh, When the idea of freedom is added to the equation, things get complicated. Freedom to do what? The will is free to choose whatever it desires. What do humans desire? See that? The the will is free to choose whatever it desires. But you have to ask the question, what do humans desire? Uh, Boy, I got a typo there, but to repent and be saved? No. To flee from God? Yes. The fall left the human will intact to choose, yet we will never choose God due to our depravity. Basically, the way Augustine put it was, and I mentioned this before, was we have free will, but we lost our liberty. We have the natural freedom to act according to our desires, but our moral freedom is lost. This is why, even as a believer, you can go ahead and desire something wrong and do something wrong, and you've got you to deal with it. You can't blame God for it. Okay? You really can't even blame Satan for it. James 1 says uh, you've got to blame yourself for it. Okay? So to choose Christ, God must change your heart. Every choice you make for a reason, you always choose according to your strongest desire. I'm repeating myself. We choose. Fallen humans have free will but lack liberty. The freedom to choose Christ, that's the liberty. Freedom to choose Christ. Fallen humans lack that. Freedom is self-determination. In regeneration, God changes your heart and gives you a desire for himself. Okay, that's, that's the summary of the whole idea for tonight. Okay? Let's get into some Bible verses, okay, and, and we're going to read, uh, I want to re- reference every one of these, so if, let's do this like we did other weeks, um, somebody look up these verses, so someone look up Exodus thirty-three nineteen, 19, uh, Romans 9, 8-24, Deuteronomy 32, 39, and, and all the way down, have those ready, because when we get there, we're going to, I'm just going to say someone read that, okay, and read it loud and clear so all of us can hear So let's go ahead and start with Exodus thirty-three, nineteen. 19. Somebody read that.
1: And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and to show mercy on whom I will show mercy.
0: Okay, we had to start there, okay? He's going to be gracious to whom he will be gracious and have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Now, what I, what I aim to show you in, in seeing these verses, because it's just a cross-section of a few verses from the Bible. You can go almost anywhere in the Bible and find you know, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And you can find, for example, why would God want to have, let's ask the question, why would God need to have mercy on someone? Why why would he? Why would why why would human beings need to be shown mercy? What's mercy? Mercy is not getting getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. Okay, holding back the the punishment that our sins deserve. Right. Okay. So that in grace he can extend to you what you don't deserve. Okay. But he holds back the wrath of God. Why would God be holding back His wrath against humans? What would be? Why is the wrath coming at humans? Because we deserve it. So you think about the fallen human will, okay? And when people want to go around saying, hey, everyone's got free will and you can choose and this and that, and they're, they're, they're ignoring the things I, I mentioned at the beginning that our wills aren't free to choose Christ unless Christ frees the will. And that freeing comes before you exercise the gift of faith. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Now Romans 9, so Romans 9 is pretty key here. Let's go ahead, we're going to go ahead and read 8 to 24. Can someone read that really loud for us?
1: This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son, and not only so, but also when rebecca had conceived children by one man our forefather isaac though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that god's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written jacob i have loved the esau i hated what shall we say then is there injustice on god's part by no means for he says to moses i will have mercy on whom i will have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles.
0: Thanks. You read that, and, like, I, I just want to weep with joy. I, and I want to point a couple of things out. You notice in verse 15, Exodus thirty-three nineteen 19 was being quoted? Okay, that's where that, that's where that is. And do you notice that this is Romans 9? And do you notice that Romans 1 talked about the complete depravity of mankind? And chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then chapter 3 interjects the grace of God, um, the, the, the mercy of God in Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. And, and you notice that as you go on into chapter 4 and 5, now we're getting into who we are in Christ because it's written to Christians. And chapter 6 and even chapter 7 with the, the sanctification struggle that we all go through. And then chapter 8, these magnificent um, assurances from God of our salvation. And then you get into chapter 9, and he's talking about a sovereign choice. And he waits to chapter 9 to bring it up? Not that he couldn't have started the book that way. But I have found, and, I, and not that you couldn't evangelize someone from here. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable. Teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But I think it's striking that this is given to the believer after this ground this amazing groundwork has been set and it's 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 in you know in the, in the in the perfect mind of god to give it to us in this way and i didn't know like i mentioned before, on sunday i didn't know all these things when i came to faith in christ but i'm sure glad i know them now and i'm sure glad when i read them my heart rejoiced that i didn't push them away and say well why would god do that Because he did, this is him saying, he did good things for us in Christ. So why would we want to ever explain them away? Why would we ever want to throw them by the side, kick them to the curb? We ought to embrace these with our whole hearts and say, wow, God, you love me so much you did this. In fact, what's the the response of Paul? Going through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. What's the response of Paul? Look at Romans 11. 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? He's he's quoting Isaiah 40. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him? Now he's quoting Job. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Right there. You want a, you want a proof for the sovereignty of God and salvation? Why well, you want a proof for the foreknowledge and, and predestination? From him are all things. From him. And then and through him, through his power, and and to him. Our worship goes to him. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is pure joy. Just pure, pure joy. Let's go back to Deuteronomy go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, 39. Someone have that to read loud?
1: there is none that can
0: deliver out of my hand and there god's just making a statement kind of a a little capsule statement of how there is no god but him and he does all these things okay by the way as we're going through these verses even if you're not the one to get the verse and read it i encourage you to look it up whether it's on your electronic device or your paper bible just go through the process of searching the scriptures with us just go through and look it up it's a good thing it's a fun thing to look up verses in the bible and you're like i don't know my bible well enough you will when you start doing this a lot okay you will get to know it all right let's look at job job chapter 12 verse 14 job 12 14 someone have that okay go is this what god does god does this daniel 4 Daniel 4.
2: All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor
0: returned to me. Okay, uh, here's, a, here's a, someone giving a testimony for how amazing God is and what his, what, how amazing his works are. Go to 2 Timothy 1 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works,
2: but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in
0: Christ Jesus before the ages began. Did you, did you see what is in that verse? Did you see what is in that verse? Oh my goodness, it's, everything's in that verse. It's all there. So look at that closely with me 2 Timothy 1 9. 2 Timothy 1 9. By the way, by the way, uh, Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed, (laughs) don't be ashamed of the testimony of Christ, nor of me his prisoner, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us. So we're unashamed of the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling, and he did so not because of our works. It wasn't anything we did. It wasn't anything we did. It was his purpose. And and he gave us, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's like Philippi, um, Ephesians one, you know, being um, predestined to, um, before the foundation of the world, right? Chosen before the foundation of the world. John fifteen twenty two. John fifteen twenty two. We're doing sword drills tonight.
1: If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now
0: they have no excuse for their sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. They're right in the presence of God. They're hearing Jesus. And and this is all these verses over and over again are talking about how amazing God is, how sovereign God is, and how sinful we are and how messed up our will is. Okay? It's it just showing in, in, in vivid living color how messed up our will is. Uh, Romans 1, 18 to 20. Without excuse, okay? It goes on to say they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, and God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, and, and they exchanged uh, all the, 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 the things that God ordained for man and women, and, and God gave them up to a debased mind, and these are people who think they can choose Christ? Why would they want to? They hate him, Okay diametrically opposed to him, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 31. They know God's decree. They know who practice those things deserve to die. And not only do they do them, they give approval to those who practice them. You see how messed up the will of man is? This is the will of man outside of Christ. There's no way you wanted Christ before Christ did a thing, a thing in your heart to make you want him. Let's go to James 1, 13 to 15. James, go ahead.
1: Let no one say when he- for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death.
0: So you really don't have to say anything about that. Let, you let this, let the words stand. These are definitive statements for how messed up the will of man is. Okay, uh, when someone says they have free will, show them James 1, 13 to fifteen. Talk to me about how free you are. Okay, Proverbs 19:3. When heart Oh, so he doesn't choose the Lord. Oh. Proverbs 3:11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Um God disciplines and this is shadow uh, go 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 into, you know, you go into Hebrews 12 and it talks about Uh, God's discipline even of a believer, and you think about this, so the will um, is is freed to choose Christ in Christ, but we're still choosing sin, too. I'm going to venture to guess that you've all sinned today, okay, and if you say you haven't, you're probably sinning, okay, it's just the way things are, it's just the way things are. I've had people say to me, well, I didn't sin at all today, I'm like, you just did, Okay, 1 John 2, 15, God knows, God knows, Um, 2, 15, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why did God say do not? Because you have a will. You have a will, okay? You're going to be held accountable for that. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, I've, I've quoted it like twice already tonight. Let's just turn to it again. You know it by heart, but let's go ahead and read it right from our Bibles. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's part of the sentence. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, are, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a three-verse sentence, not the longest sentence in the Bible, but it's one of the best. It's one of my favorites. It gives me Everything I need to know regarding what God did and what He has laid up for me in heaven and what He is doing for me right now. He's guarding me through faith for salvation. So let's, I want to show you two more things and we'll go into some, well, one more thing and we'll get into some quotes. Just a thing that Wayne Grudem put together the differences between justification and sanctification. This is important as it relates to our will. So you've got justification and sanctification. In justification, Justification is a legal standing. God declares you not guilty. God declares you right with him. Sanctification is an internal condition. Now, it comes out on the outside. You can see it, but it's really an internal thing. you got to remember that. It's very easy for us to think, well, I'm working on it. Okay? I'm making myself better. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Um, the Bible doesn't give a works-oriented self-improvement plan for Christians. I kind of bristle when I hear people say I'm working on self-control. It's like, I don't want to be around you. <laughs> Only because it's like you're working on it? Like, come on. I mean, seriously, I think we need to be, I'm picking on words, but I think words are important. And, you know, I used to say that, but I'm like, at one point, I remember thinking, what, what, am, I, what am I saying here? I'm working on self-control. So I'm determining what God needs to do to sanctify me. Okay, you can take issue with me on that. It's okay. Um, Justification once for all, once for all time. Sanctification continuous throughout your life. This is a process. Okay, if you got the ordo salutis there in the back of your Bible like I have in mine, here's what it says. A progressive lifelong work of God and man that frees us from sin and makes us more like Christ. That's sanctification. Uh, Justification, entirely God's work. Okay, so free will in justification, they're not yours. It was God's free will that chose you, okay, and and saved you. In sanctification, you cooperate. Okay, you cooperate with God. Justification, it's perfect. Uh, Sanctification, it's imperfect in this life. Justification, everyone gets the same justification. If you're you're saved, you got the same uh, justification everybody gets. Sanctification... Greater in some, lesser in others. That's weird. It's not a competition. Okay, it's not a competition. By the way, think about comparison. Just think about, take a little sidebar here with me. Okay, take a little side trip with me on comparison. The death knell for a Christian. Okay, I'm serious. Like, where does, where? what good place does comparison take you? Oh, look, uh, he's better looking than me. He's faster than me. He's smarter than me. Oh, look, she's prettier than me, and she's, you know more accomplished than me. And she's this or that I mean, what good does comparison bring you? It just makes you feel horrible or makes you not like other people. Right, so comparison is not a good thing. So you shouldn't go around going, well, that person got these gifts or that person got to do this, or that person got to do that, you know, sit down with them and, and hear their story. You might go, wow, I wouldn't have wanted to go through that. Right? Everybody's got backstory. And 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 front story. Okay? There's stuff going on right now too. So I'm just saying, don't you, you man. First uh, Samuel 16. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. You don't know what's going on in everyone's heart. You, you're like comparing yourself to all these people, and you're you're assuming all these things about them. Okay. So it's tough. Not is it isn't it tough not to compare? Like that's what we do. I mean, we have eyes, and we have ears, and we see, and we we. We put ourselves, you know, I, I you know, think about pride, pride is where you puff yourself up to a certain place, but pride pride could also uh, look like the reverse. Oh, I'm just putting myself way down here, you know? And so humility is such that we basically just are saying God is God and I'm just gonna serve God and I'm gonna, you know, we go, we, we ebb and flow in this, but I'm just gonna, I wanna serve God with my whole heart, however he's made me. Uh, no. You know, I am really the only one version of me, and you are the only version of you, even if you're a twin, okay? Um, let's go to some pithy quotes. Now, couldn't help it. I'm sorry I couldn't control myself. I really wanted to give you R.C. Sproul's quote again, okay? It was in your notes last time. But I, I, if there's an article that I have referred to more, more people... And, and read more times, it's probably this one, okay? The Pelagian Captivity of the Church by R.C. Sproul. I don't know, it's just one of the best articles I've ever read, all right? Um, Pelagian. One of the things he said is, Pelagianism defines the fallenness of our nature. It, def- it denies the doctrine of original sin. Semi-Pelagianism says, while we are so fallen that we cannot be saved without grace, we are not so fallen that we don't have the ability to accept or reject the grace that's offered to us, when it's offered to us. The will is weakened, but it is not enslaved. And the Bible tells us the will is enslaved in, not, in, in many, many words. Okay? There remains. Here's what Pelagianism says in semi-Pelagianism. There remains in the core of our being an island of righteousness that remains untouched by the fall. It is out of that little island of righteousness, that little parcel of goodness... That is still intact in the soul or in the will, that is the determinative difference between heaven and hell. You know, and, and the answer here is it's a mythical island. The will is enslaved and man is dead in his sin and trespasses. The, the, the sooner we grasp that, the we're on our way to healthiness, okay? Uh, there's a there's a good a good article by um, James Montgomery Boyce. Predestination and Free Will, and uh, wrote it in 1983, and um, he, in fact, let's read this. This is short enough. I I put some in here that are short enough that I want to read, and the really long ones we're not going to read, okay? So, I'm not a philosopher, he says, but I have read that the problem of the will is the most discussed issue in philosophy. It's also a major subject in religious discussion. Martin Luther believed that it is the essential issue in Christianity because it relates as is perfectly plain and I trust, will become even plainer as we deal with it in this hour, to the doctrines of sin and how serious sin is, grace and how necessary grace is, and how grace must function in us if we are to be saved. At the end of his monumental defense of the will, will's bondage, after he had demolished the arguments of Desiderius Erasmus of Rotterdam, whose work he was answering, Luther turned to the Dutch humanist, I love this, and complimented him on at least focusing on the central matter. He wrote, I give you hearty praise and commendation on this further account that you alone, in contrast with all the others, have attacked the real thing. That is the essential issue. Free will relates to the fall. And when we talk about the fall, we want to ask how far did man fall when he fell? I tell a story about a mountain climber making his way up a steep ascent of rock who slips who's is about to go over the edge of a cliff to his death. He throws out his hand and catches himself on a branch. There are some people who think the fall is like that. It is a serious slip, and it's certainly leading in the direction of destruction, but there is that branch. We catch it, and having not fallen completely, there is always the possibility of getting ourselves back up onto level ground and on with the climb again. Uh, Walter Chantry wrote an article um, called The Myth of Free Will, and it's really good, it's long, but you should read it later, okay, that's one for later, all right, it's kind of long, it's not the longest article, but it's, it's a bit long, so keep on going through that, go, 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 uh, I want to read you a quote by D.A. Carson, human freedom since the fall cannot be discussed without reference to the fall. Jesus insists that anyone who sins is a slave to sin, we read that earlier, even when doing our best, I love this, Yet yeah, listen to this quote. Even when doing our best, we hear a little whisper over our shoulder telling us how good we look while we're doing it. We devote ourselves to God for an hour of prayer. We spend part of the time wondering if people realize how pious we are. We give ourselves sacrificially to some good cause, then spoil it by being condescending or unforgiving to those who have not similarly given themselves. We live for a few moments or a few hours with God genuinely at the center of our affections, our desires, our goals, and then get sidetracked by personal ambition, lust, or greed. Our wills then are not fully free, they are enslaved by sin. That's probably one of the better quotes that we can grap- you know, grasp onto there. There's a little article, just a really little article, and you can read this one later too, uh, by A.W. Pink mm-hmm. A New Creation. It was a previously had another title, I think, regeneration or something. There's another article uh, about God's will and man's will by Horatius Bonar. Horatius Bonar, um, I misspelled his. I I always see my typos after the fact. There's not two I's in his name. And um, go 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 past all that. Go past all that. Okay, keep going, keep going. Uh, there's another thing I put in here about Thomas Boston. Uh, he wrote some books about um, sanctification. Uh, he wrote a, a thing about sanctification. So there's some, something there for you. Okay? But get into the applying the doctrine. That's, we're going to go to the applying the doctrine. Okay? First, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Second Corinthians 3.18. Now, this is talking about when someone when someone has a veil over their hearts, but when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So there's this, it's like people saying, I was once was blind and now I see, right? The, you can actually see. And it says in verse 18, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you're beholding. The glory of Jesus. Okay, you're beholding Jesus, and there's this process of of sanctification that is happening by the work of the Spirit, and then we have responsibility within the work He's doing. It's um, I put in the notes there the metamorphosis that you're caterpillar to butterfly. Okay, there's just like it's like you're getting changed from one thing to another. Um, think about water and soap. Okay, you've used water and soap today. Raise your hand if you used water and soap today. Some of you don't use wa- soap, okay. Well, some people don't use soap, right? Some people don't use soap. Have you used water? No. Okay, so here's the deal. Use water and soap. Let's say, uh, picture the sink in the, re- in the restroom at your house, okay? There's water, and there's soap. Water and soap. And then there's even a towel. And you are out in, in, outside getting your hands all grimy and dirty, you're working on a car. Maybe you're working in the ground. And you get all this mud on you. Maybe you're cleaning up a rotten piece of vegetable on your front porch, and <laughs> and um, so you have to you have to wash your hands to get the dirt off. Okay, uh, or you take a shower. You got to get in the shower and you know lather up. You got it. You gotta do the thing. Now, so here's the deal, um, and I'm looking at this in sanctification. Okay, because We've talked about salvation, okay? So we're looking at the will in sanctification. I should have made that clearer. Your will is either going to be exalted or put in proper perspective, okay? You're either going to exalt yourself or, or, or humble yourself. And I guess I, what I put here was don't be guilty of exalting human will arbitrarily just because it feels good to the flesh or sounds plausible to the mind. But you think about this idea of your will. Your will still has to be engaged, Your will still has to be engaged, okay? It just is never over God, okay? Now, what about when you're sinning? Where's your will? Huh? Totally on yourself. Okay, totally on yourself. Where are you putting your will? You're putting it before God, okay? Um, We might not want to say above God because he's over all, but you're putting it before him. Your your priority is is there, okay? So go over to 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, 11, and 12. This is a a good verse, two verses here. It's going to tell us to do something, okay? So context of pleasing God, okay? So a, a Christian wants to please God, right? You have to have your will engaged to please God, okay? Your will is now free in Christ to choose what is good, but you know you don't always choose good. Why are there so many places in the New Testament and the Old Testament where it's like, do this. Followers of, of God, do this. In, in in the New Testament, followers of Christ, do this. Why would we need to be reminded? Why are we being reminded all the time in the Bible to do things that are good? We're we're yeah, we're prone to wander, right? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So look at verses 11 and 12. And this is urging, okay, strongly. Do this more and more. Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is right before he gives them the passage that we read at every Christian funeral about the coming of the Lord. It's like, like this great dichotomy, and it goes perfectly together. It's like, until, until glory, keep doing this. Okay, keep doing this. Do you see in your notes, there's a 2LQ thing? Do you see that? 2LQW409, you know what that is? It's a license plate number. Okay? It's a license plate number. It was, it was, it's kind of silly, but it was, it was my license plate, I think from around 1988 to, I don't know, uh, when I got rid of the car. It was a Celica, it was, an, it was an 88, it was a used 88 Celica, but I bought it at the end of 88. Uh, my car got crashed, my buddy was driving my car, we were going to a Christian camp, and somebody sighed, somebody bashed into, it, into my car while he was picking something up, and I got a new car out of it, it was great. But uh, that was my license plate, 2LQW 409. So I'm reading First um, Thessalonians 4 about um, to live quietly, to work quietly. Uh, NASB, I think, said work quietly. So this became like this, this little message. Okay, Here's what it stood for. Um, to love quiet working and live a clean life. You know, Formula 409? Four mm-hmm. Formula 409. Oh, yeah. Remember that? They still make Formula 409? Yeah, yeah. There you go. It cleans things, right? It cleans things. So that was my reminder to, to love quiet working, to, to humbly serve the Lord and, and live a clean life, okay? Uh, it's always good to have little reminders, right? Make it your ambition, make it your ambition. So I'm going to read you a couple things and then we're going to talk about some, uh, some things. We're gonna, we'll have about 15 minutes this time to talk. So our heart is changed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God renewing our minds so our thinking is in alignment with who we are in Christ. Just think about that sentence for a moment. Our heart is changed by the spirit of God through the word of God, renewing our minds so that our thinking is in alignment with who we are in Christ. Okay? Our will gets changed even moment by moment as we trust the spirit of God to use the word of God to renew our minds. Can can anyone in the room think of a time recently where you actually changed what you were going to do and said, I'm not gonna do that, that wouldn't be good. Instead, I'm gonna do this. Can you think of a time? Yeah? What, you wanna share with us? I uh, really your...
2: Long. <laughs> it's weird.
1: really, really dramatic.
0: What's that? It's really dramatic. That's okay, you, you raised your hand, so I thought maybe you wanna tell me, but that's okay, we'll, tell, we'll talk later. Okay. But anybody wanna have one that would you could share, that you go, yeah, I, I was gonna do this, but I did this. Debbie. I have a quick one. Yes
2: washed a bunch of the bottles for the baby because my son and daughter-in-law, you know. And, you know, that's not my job to do. But no. I did it, and I went over and sat down. I told her I did it. And then I'm thinking, why isn't she thanking me? And all of a sudden, I just checked myself. I got, <laughs> you don't say it. But my heart, my mind thought it, my heart, you know, yeah. but that, that was me. She, she should thank God. That mm-hmm. somebody's there to help her, because I'm just God's servant. And
0: she shouldn't thank me. All right, well she could if she wanted to. Yeah. If she was thankful, not, but you know, if she not, was grateful. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you're, you're so right. Mm-hmm. So, so go to um, James one. Go to James one. James one. Okay. I'm gonna do James one. And then we'll look at that last paragraph. Okay, look at verse 19. All right. Before this, he has just said that by his own will, you got to read verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is sovereign grace, okay? God is nothing but good. He is nothing but good. This is sovereign grace. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19, knowing that, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of, that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, get this, which is able to save your souls. Who is being addressed in James? Christians. Christians. Now, brothers, okay? Brothers and sisters in Christ. He's appealing to their will. He is appealing to their will. You you, you should read the New Testament with, with new eyes. Read the Old Testament with new eyes. God is appealing to your will all the way through. He's appealing to your will over and over and over again. So here, here, James is writing to Christians who've been forced into very difficult cir- circumstances, mm-hmm. and they're finding it really hard going. They're, they don't know if they're going to survive, much less thrive in the Christian life. And James is telling them, here's how you live in Christ. James is a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. That you, it parallel it. you can look at James and then look at the Sermon on the Mount and you can see a lot of parallels. But he's writing to Christian Jews in Gentile countries. That's what he's writing to. Christian Jews in Gentile countries. He's reminding them how to live. And he's telling them the trials you're getting, they're from God in his sovereign goodness to provide something you're lacking in your life. And and God's purpose is to lead you to the good result he has in mind. So he says to them, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I've said this recently. I know that people take this as a really good relational quip and quote. You can use it that way. But I, I think first application of it is Don't blame God. His word will navigate you safely through the trial. He's appealing to their will in the midst of big trials, pointing them to the saving word. And he's telling them, You're in this trial. You need to remain steadfast. He's appealing to their will. And you're going to even receive the crown of life after you've stood the test the favor of God. Don't get lured and enticed by your own desire. Verse 14. Don't be deceived, verse 16. He's appealing to the will. Every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above. These gifts of testing. Then, um, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Then turn the page. Well, in my Bible, it's turning the page. Verse 22, turn the verse. (laughs) But be doers of the word, that same implanted word that you received. The same word that you were brought forth by, verse 18, the implanted word, verse 21. Be doers of that word, appealing to the will, okay? The most important thing we can take from tonight, we talk about the will, is not wondering about people you don't know who who aren't believers or wondering what that Christian that looks like they're living like hell is doing, but you, okay, and me, my own life. I got to look at my own life. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The will is getting appealed to. So we're in the process of sanctification. Uh, Believers are in the process of sanctification, progressive sanctification. And God's will is over ours. God's will is over ours. Our will is always subservient to his. Our will is always secondary. But our will must be engaged. Okay? Our will must be engaged. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, so remaining under trial, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, there's the will in operation. He will be blessed in his doing. Okay? This is really important. Um, I got another, I'm um, sorry, I got another typo in my notes. See that, that little pair, that sentence that says, if we can fathom how God works, that's all right? That was supposed to read, if we cannot fathom how God works, that's all right. But why the need to explain the way in human terms? And by the way, at the end of the day, what does it really matter what we think? Why are we and our opinions so important to us? I think we all know the answer. We're selfish. We're sinful. We seemingly forget how awesome and sovereign and amazing God is. And we want to call the shots. We want to be right. And You learn the Word of God. You're convinced of what it teaches. It doesn't mean you have to pretend like you don't. It just means that you shouldn't be hitting people over the head with it. You should cling uh, tenaciously to the truth that you're convinced of. Shouldn't pretend like you don't know it, but you shouldn't beat people over the head with it. You can lovingly and kindly and God-dependently proclaim the truth that transforms. Regardless of what anyone says against you, well I'm sorry I, I'm sorry for all my typos. I didn't go back and check all these things. I read I wrote this not right right before class. I didn't. I wrote it before and I didn't go back and look. Regardless of what anyone says against you or I don't even know what that means, at least to your church. I don't even I must, I, must, I must have been typing so fast, I don't know. But God knows your heart. Trust him to make it tender and humble and loving and kind. Then serve God's purposes in your generation until Christ returns or calls you home, whichever happens first. But really, David, in, in Acts, it, it talks about David who served God's purposes in his generation and then died. Just serve God's purpose and then die. That's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're to do, right? Right. Um, well, it really is, you know, it's like, this is it, you know. Let, yet, yet some insist the ultimate deciding factor in our salvation is us. God chooses us for salvation based on how we respond to the gospel. No. The Bible teaches God is final decisive agent in salvation. His choice establishes who will believe, who will not. But in sanctification, you must engage the will or you will crash and burn. Your will has got to be lo- uh, engaged. you got to love Jesus and do as you please. Uh, I, I really give people this um, this advice a lot. Uh, especially when there's like a college student who comes up to me and they're like, I don't know what to do in life. I don't know where I should go. I don't know who I should marry. I don't know where I should go to school. I don't know where I should live. And I'm like, you're so free right now. You're a believer, right? You're a believer. You're so free. Love Jesus and do as you please. Love Jesus the most and do whatever you want. Okay? Do whatever you want because you're not going to want to do something illegal or immoral. You're going to want to do something that pleases God. And so I give that advice all the time. I'm like, you know what? Just love the Lord and just, just, just do the thing you really, really want to do. Because here's what happens. If you don't, what are you going to do? Regret it? Oh, I should have done that? Just go do that. I'm serious. You should. All right. Any, any thoughts before we get into some groups? So are you saying that uh, sanctification is synergistic? Sanctification, God and you uh, in cooperation, but God is fully ultimate and fully in control of it. God sanctifies us. We don't sanctify ourselves. Yeah. Synergistic is not a word I use tonight. It's probably not a word I would choose to use, but, you know, some people use it. It's not my thing. (laughs)
1: I've got a question. In uh, James 1.13, 15, I, I noted that uh, God cannot be tempted. And after he was tempted for, what, 40 days?
0: But he can't be tempted with evil, right? Oh. Yeah. But, but Je- okay, so Jesus being tempted in the, in the wilderness. There's a whole thing about the temptation of Christ that is, is pretty uh, great. I don't know, maybe we can get into it one of the weeks about... Uh, mm-hmm. This sovereignty and, and, and God's sovereignty and, and existence of evil, uh, but there's some things about Jesus and his impeccability that he's un, uh, not able to sin. Uh, that's interesting about the whole temptation thing in the wilderness. But uh,
1: so, can, can we think that temptation came to him, but unlike us, he did not have an evil response to it? Like we see chocolate cake, we want to grab it.
0: Sure, mm-hmm. I would go to. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I would go to. He's
2: 100 yeah. percent man and 100 percent God. Yeah. So he. Could be tempted as man, but he could not.
0: Uh, could not sin. sin, right?
2: Because he's God. Well, and therefore it sh- proved his righteousness. That's what the whole temptation was about to demonstrate.
0: Right, and if, I'll just point you to one thing, and then we'll go into the, our groups. But uh, Hebrews four fifteen. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I had someone. I had a pastor say this to me one time. Uh, it's for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And this pastor said, I'm so glad to know that, my, that Jesus could sin but didn't, because now I know he understands me. And I'm like, and I was far younger than this pastor, and I was also a pastor at the time, but I was like, whoa, whoa, um, no. <laughs> and, and I didn't even know why. And as I was saying it, I'm like, no, that can't be true. He could not sin. And 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 by the way, he knows exactly what we think and feel because he's God, okay. But as as I studied this, uh, when I when I went through when I went through this, okay, we read this wrong. Okay, uh, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. People read this, Americans read this, and go, oh well, that means that he was tempted, but he didn't sin. Woohoo! He could have, but he didn't. No, it's the, the the doctrine is the impeccability of Christ, and this verse actually teaches it very solidly. And what it means is, he was tempt, he was in every respect tempted as we are, with no sin. Okay, no sin on the way in, no sin on the way out. No, no. And here's the other thing: he could go all the way through the temptation because we cave in because our wills are weak. His wouldn't bend. Anyway. Satan didn't know who he was truly dealing with. If you think about it, I. I, I but Satan
2: was doing the tempting.
0: He was the one
2: tempting. Yeah. And Satan it, was active in that.
0: Yeah, but God, and we'll get into. It. We're going to go sovereignty of God another week, okay?
2: <laughs> because
0: we there are, there are things there that we ha- we have to be able to explain. You got to explain it biblically, and it, it's not always going to like match our our understanding levels. But let's talk. Let's talk amongst ourselves. And what I'm going to do tonight is. You choose, on the topic, you get to choose, you get to choose your question that you talk about in your little group, okay? It's your, it's up to you. You get to choose tonight, all right? And then, by the way, next time we get together, I'll, I'll, I'll close this in a few minutes, but next time we get together, uh, the date is, the date is 1114 and divine retribution, okay? Drop and fire, all right? It'll be great. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. I'll I'll pray in just a few minutes. But go ahead and uh, you get to choose what you're talking about right now. It's got to be on topic, though. Really? Got to be on topic. What? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> No, you do you
0: want to talk about? There's more over here. There's a whole bunch. Did you get one? Katie, did you get one?
2: Uh, yeah. You got one already? Who uh, cares? We got the verbal. We got the verbal.